Hello and welcome to Hardcore Football, a look at the world's game from two passionate Americans. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, what's up? Not much, Phil. Um, it's getting cold down here in Texas, so I'm wearing a, a hoodie for the first time. Um, it's supposed to snow tomorrow. Like, oh, my God. Which is dumb. But I, I say it's cold, but I'm like drinking a smoothie, so nothing makes sense. <laughs> well, we had another <laughs> weird weekend uh, of uh, of football across Europe um, that I'm sure we'll get to here in a second. Um, but first, we had kind of a weird tweet go out, uh, and we got involved in um, some football theories. Um, at Will Banks hit us with... Uh, basically wanting to hear everybody's favorite football theories and football Twitter descended into just kind of madness. (laughs) Yeah. This was probably like one of my favorite, like meta football discussions that I've seen on the internet. Um, So I got in on it on hardcore football's handle. And my theory is that there's no proof that forest green rovers actually exists. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The, uh, the whole joke was so funny because like his were like, I thoroughly believe Liverpool play Chelsea five times a season, um, which is, is great. Especially given the fact that I think Liverpool and Chelsea is one of the most played fixtures of the two thousands and like 2010s. Um, like That's in that, insane. in that, uh, era. Um, but yeah, I, I love, <laughs> I love the idea of a, of a football league club, like being, not real. Um, that- <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you hear so much about them. Like they have cool kits. Their owner's vegan. He wants to build like a wooden stadium. But I'm like, I've never seen like pictures of them playing or like, <laughs> like that's because I haven't sought it out. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I just there's no proof. There's yeah. no proof. I, uh, I love, I, I think, I think for mine, I'm going to, I'm going to steal one from your, uh, from your club actually. And, uh, and go for, I am convinced that if UEFA has the opportunity to draw Arsenal and Bayern Munich together, they will. (laughs) Yeah, they will much to our chagrin. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like every single year Arsenal ends up either in the group or like round of 16. Like if they're in the champions league, like they're getting Bayern a hundred percent. For sure. And speaking of Champions League, another one that I thought was funny, someone had said, um, I'm convinced every year that this is a Champions League group, Man City, Lyon, Shakhtar Donetsk, Olympiacos, (laughs) (laughs) which like, yeah, like that's like group C or whatever. Like every single group standard (laughs) standard. Uh, oh my gosh so, yeah yeah if you guys are following us on twitter just go check the start out because it's fucking hilarious yeah it really is, <laughs> it really is just great to well and it's it's always nice to have a tweet that is the comments are worth reading um yeah 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 uh i have to give a shout out just for hitting the level of meta that is required in this sort of situation um <laughs> at dale silvermate uh said rotherham are never truly in the championship or league one they exist in both leagues and neither of them no man's land and jim o'hara <laughs> replied schrodinger's rotherham which schrodinger. <laughs> <laughs> i just really enjoy um 
But uh, gosh, Mika, we got loads to talk about. We're going to go, I mean, La Liga, Premier League, Liga Un, Serie A, a little bit of Bundesliga. And then we got Champions League this week coming up. We had Champions League last week that we didn't talk about. So there's only one place to start, though, throughout all of this. And it was the fixture um, it is probably the biggest, the biggest fixture in world football. It was El Clasico, Barcelona, and Real Madrid at the camp now. And uh, Real Madrid, despite the turmoil kind of surrounding the club, Zidane was it, you know under pressure coming into this game. Barcelona had maybe seem to have shaked the rust off in their Champions League win 5-1 over uh Ferenc Vosi. Ferenc Vosi? Anyways, whatever. Hung- <laughs> Hungarian. Um, yes. <laughs> Barcelona shook off had seemed to have shaken the rust off and Madrid uh, 3-1 winners uh despite um despite all that. And uh what did you make of of this Madrid side or even, you know, this match in in what was obviously the first Clasico played behind closed doors and with both teams kind of stumbling into it in their own ways. Yeah, I mean, you, you said it right there that uh both teams stumbled into it. They're both coming off losses. Um you know, Real Madrid having especially having lost to Cadiz and then um, Shakhtar in, in champion, uh, a really like COVID riddled Shakhtar yeah. in champions league. So for them to come to the camp now and, and um, defeat Barcelona three, one was impressive to say the least, because Zidane certainly was on the hot seat and there were, you know, rumors flying around that uh, they were already trying to line up his replacement. Um, but Zidane, I think he's undefeated at the new camp as as a manager. So, which is insane. Uh, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, talking about the football overall, I think that, you know, in the first half, I think both sides had a lot of good chances. I think Barcelona will rue some of the ones that they did not put away. Um, but then once, once Real Madrid had the lead in the second half, I, I you know, I felt like they were never going to give it up. Real Madrid are pretty good at keeping a lead, a lead and, and being, you know, well organized and and defensively solid, especially as it <laughs> compares to Barcelona, who I thought I, I thought Kuman just got it wrong. Um, as far as the tactics, they played this like four two three one ostensibly, um, with um, Busquets and De Jong as the pivots, and that just did not work. Busquets really showing his age in this one. Um, you know, his, his trick has never been athleticism. You know, he, it's all about the vision and the, the positioning and the, the intelligence. But, I mean, he is getting up there. And I think that, you know, having partnered with De Jong, it, it exposes him even that much more because De Jong's not necessarily an athletic beast either. Right. So they didn't cover themselves in glory. Um, Longley gives away the penalty, which – was that a penalty for you? Because, I, I so- mean, there's there's some debate. I, it, it is certainly a weird one because I think we, we often talk about the fact that, oh, like if someone is pulling a shirt, then it's a foul. Um, but that sort of shirt pull is very rarely actually given. Um, 
And the fact that they're running side by side and then Ramos actually makes a move kind of away from the ball to accentuate the shirt pull. He did. Yeah. Like that, that to me is a little odd because the, is the shirt pull actually impeding the player? Like not really because he goes the wrong way to make it impede him. Um, yeah. He but, impedes himself almost. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little strange. I get that it, you know, if you get that shape or whatever, the triangle, you know, we joked like if you see the triangle, yeah, like it's, it's often going to be given. And I think with VAR, it, it's always more likely to be given, but I don't know for me, like, little soft even with the shirt pull and uh, normally i would be all about it but this particular maybe it's just my like anti-ramos bias i don't know <laughs> yeah no i i'm i in what when i was watching the match live i i thought no no way that's not a penalty um ramos he does look like he makes a motion away from the incoming cross to show like hey i'm being impeded you know <laughs> like check yeah. this out um, but on the replay, it looks, I mean, there, like there's different angles. Some angles are like, yep, that's a foul. Other angles are like, eh, it's kind of soft. So right. I think either way is not a huge like scandal, I guess yeah. you could say, like whether it's given or not. Of course it's given. Of course, we're almost scores. And sure. Um, you know, from there, they're up to one. And I, I don't think they were ever going to surrender that lead. Like I said, right. Going back to Madrid's opener. Um, I think Busquets is just horribly exposed in that first goal and it, it did not get better for him, uh, as the match went on, um, because Valverde makes that run from midfield and Busquets is just not able to get anywhere near him. Like it's just completely, he's just completely at sea at that point. As soon (laughs) as Valverde is in between the center backs, it was just a matter of whether he could finish or not. And credit to him, because I think Madrid's biggest Achilles this whole season has been their lack of killer instinct in front of goal. And to get a chance in the opening five minutes at the new camp and put it away for Valverde, that's should be a bit of a confidence boost for, for him at least, and maybe for Madrid to kick on and actually take some chances uh, as the season progresses. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely, and Benzema Benzema's crucial to that one. Yeah. So he's pulling the strings as usual for Real Madrid. Yeah. That's the one thing. I mean, that's the thing that's probably most concerning, I would say, if I'm a Madridista, but like... If Benzema is out of the team, I I don't know how they operate. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of mad to say, but he really is the focal point and the one that, you know, players are running off of and he's and scoring himself. Um, He's had to take up that mantle and, you know, because Eden Hazard is just cannot stay fit for whatever reason. Although I saw he was included in this week's Champions League squad, so you know, maybe, maybe Madrid kicks on from there. And, and I mean, certainly to, to win against your biggest rival away should, should help them. Um, I mean, not to dunk on Barca too much on Sufati did equalize for them. Yeah. And then that was about the only joy they saw. (laughs) (laughs) What a player he is. This kid is 17 years old and he's already got four goals in the league. He's, I think he's tied for Pichichi right now. So I mean, 17, there were a couple 17 year olds in this match for Barca. So yeah. 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 And, uh, 
I I know a lot of the focus was obviously on Serginho Dest and and uh, getting the start in this one. Obviously, a big vote of confidence from Ronald Koeman. Um, but I did not think that one of Barca's best players would be Jordi Alba on the other side. Um, he sets up Ansu Fati's goal and is actually one of their best attacking outlets throughout the match. Um, in terms of well, throughout the first half, I would say, because in the second half they were pretty hopeless um in attack, minus the Coutinho chance uh that should have given them the lead. Um yeah. that header at the back post. But Jordi Alba like spurred a lot of attacks on that left wing, and I was actually I, I don't know, I wouldn't have guessed in a million years that he would provide the attacking impetus in this Barca side that has obviously so much, you know so many names up front, although Fati and Pedri are kind of the ones who grabbed the headlines by getting the starts in this. So yeah, yeah. Um, it it is an interesting era for Barcelona because they are going to have games like the Villarreal game where they just blow a team out of the water. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to have a game like this where they just really, they, for whatever reason, they aren't able to assert themselves and, get worn down by an opponent that while still obviously very good, it's Real Madrid, but um, not nearly like at the level of recent Madrid sides that were winning champions leagues. Yeah, for sure. This is, you know, I joked in our group chat with uh, some other friends of ours that this is probably the most like understated classico in, in quite a while. And I think that, the Classico has been kind of losing its luster over the past couple seasons, you know, with the departure of Ronaldo and Messi obviously wanting to leave. Um, and he may have just lost his last Classico at home, which is insane to think about. Um, yeah, you know, Classico, the El Classico is nothing like the toxic ass fixtures from like the Guardiola Mourinho era. <laughs> I don't think we'll ever get to that level again, but um yeah, um, both teams that are just kind of like in transition, I guess. And, uh, you know, I say that and these are the teams that are still winning the championship, you know, trading La Liga back and forth between each other. So, um, yeah, but uh, Madrid, Madrid take this one and let's see if they kick on from here. Yeah, they uh, they actually climb within a point. Uh, well, they climbed a he- above Sociedad for the time being, um, but we'll we'll get to uh, the other Basque club in a second. Uh, Ath- Athletic Bilbao. Uh, we talked about them over the last couple of weeks. Just maybe climbing out of this of this crisis they're in. They play a decent game in Osasuna and. The uh, the the club celebrating its its centenario, uh, Osasuna mm-hmm. grab a one a one nil win on an 81st minute Ruben Garcia penalty. Uh, Bilbao kind of back where the at square one now. Yeah, I mean they're not in the relegation zone after this one, but they are pretty dang close. And guys, uh, Cagaritano, <laughs> man, it's going to be interesting if he can keep his job. Um, you know, you would have thought they would have built on last week's victory, but yeah, to to lose to a, I would say a Basque rival. I mean, they are in Navarre, but you know, it's right there. Is it, not a good look. Um, and they, like you said, they play pretty well. They have most of the ball, um, but they just lose it late. And yeah, it, it it's gonna be 
it's gonna be an interesting one for them. Obviously, I don't want them to go down because that's never happened before. <laughs> I hope that they can can see it through. But Osasuna, though, they're quietly seventh, which is pretty amazing. Um, they were just in Segunda, you know, season before last. So um, I like to see that all the uh, Basque and, and Navarre sides are, are kind of thriving, other than Athletic for once. So. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, yeah Bilbao just I don't I don't know I think we'll continue to see the inconsistency because for whatever reason um, the attacking front that has carried them thus far um, and I mean Iker Munian is like probably the poster child of this whole last maybe ten years of of Athletic um, and for whatever reason these guys just can't seem to buy a goal um and and it takes some pretty tragic i think levante was the last you know they got that win and obviously that's that's good um for their overall uh standing at the moment because the only teams more tragic are Celta Vigo and levante <laughs> and like the um which uh, they played out actually. Celta Vigo and Levante played to a one-one draw today. <laughs> so. I didn't get to see that one, but I heard Levante got screwed by VAR, and a lot of teams got screwed by VAR this weekend. So. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Plenty of VAR uh, all over. Spain seems to have a particular problem with uh, with refereeing at the moment. Um, well, S- Spanish officiating has always been like on the shocking side, and then you give these guys technology like i i think i said on our last pod i really feel like these spanish referees are like insulted by the <laughs> notion of having to consult var and so yeah just crazy the uh a, a pretty big result uh another one nil uh in in spain a bar eke out a one nil win against sevilla kike grabbed the goal on Abar's only shot on target and this goal if it's gonna be your only shot on target this is the way to do it because it's a really nice team goal like nice passing move and Kike with the good finish Sevilla not looking good at the moment 13th in La Liga and just yeah. struggling to get any sort of momentum going it seems yeah, well, first off, I'd like to give credit to Abar because they are a tiny club in a tiny town with a, you know, a fraction of the budget of Sevilla and some of these bigger sides. So um, it's good to see them thriving at the hands of some of the bigger clubs, I guess you could say. But yeah, Sevilla have not won in four matches, uh, two losses, two draws. And it looks to me like they've got a serious goal scoring problem because they have been... Um, they've been shut out for three consecutive matches and they've only scored more than one goal once this season. And that was against newly promoted Gareth. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, and the series comes, he came in to replace Ben Yedder, which I think it was always going to be hard to, to replace Ben Yedder. I, I still don't really quite understand why that move was made. Yeah. Luke DeYoung. I mean, he, he's, he came up clutch last season in some big moments, including in the Europa league. Um, but he is a striker from the Dutch league. And I, I just don't think that you can really count on, on either of them to bag you like 15, 20 goals, you know, individually and maybe between the two of them. But um, yeah, right. so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's looking a little bit dicey for Sevilla. So um, I don't know. Julian Lopetegui is a good coach though. So I, I, I expect he'll be able to turn it around. 
Yeah. And it's worth noting that in this match, Edna Siri and Lucas Ocampos, who came on as a substitute in the in the second half, both missed absolute sitters. Um and <laughs> should have should have easily they should have easily won this game they end with 21 shots only three on target which That's is poor. just brutal um yeah. tons of the ball but weirdly enough the three shots that a bar generated all seemed more dangerous than the sum of of what Sevilla put together <laughs> so i guess one nil might be the might be the fairest score line but um yeah it's always nice when a team I, I think there's some there's something kind of beautiful about obviously I think we love an underdog winning. Um it's kind of like an American idea, but the mm. but we always think about these kind of like hard nosed like battling sides that maybe eke out a one nil and it's like ugly and it's physical and all this stuff. I there's something quite beautiful about a bar scoring from like a slick passing move um because it just shows that they're you know obviously for most of the game they're going to be like fighting tooth and nail just to like get that result but that moment of quality or that combination can result like in in a goal and they don't have to hoof it or anything like that these are still talented talented players despite the fact that they don't have you know maybe the the resources of a Sevilla so I just uh I always enjoy when that smaller club like shows the class as well absolutely yeah that's a good shout um Atleti Betis Mika you watch you watch this one go down and Atleti not at necessarily their best um, mm-hmm. but they certainly they kind of dulled Real Betis who another team that have recently just in the last couple of of La Liga matches kind of struggled to get going and you've kind of pointed out that you think it's down to one player's absence potentially yeah um well first let me just say I think Real Betis had the better chances early they looked more they looked like they had more attacking intent than Atletico did certainly and and I think that's probably par for the course with Atletico they're they're comfortable with letting other teams have the ball even in the Wanda um because Betis end this game with 60 percent possession but Betis couldn't take their chances um <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know it's frustrating because I do like I do like watching Betis and I think that the the talent that the squad has is not it's not coming through at the moment. They've got one win in their last five and that was to Shambles Valencia. So <laughs> um yeah, Manuel Pellegrini's got got work on his hands, but yeah, there is an absence um uh, Emerson, the right back, the Brazilian, I think that he you know, he was a little bit inconsistent last season, but still clearly a very talented player and um Talented enough that Barcelona and Real Betis, I don't know if you know this, Phil, but they bought him like jointly. So, so Barcelona own no. like half. Yeah, they own half his rights. I don't, I, you know, I could tell you exactly how that works, but um, clearly, um, uh, clearly a name on the big club's minds, obviously. And so him not being there is it's that right side just looks. I mean, there's no threat really from there unless Fakir's out on the right. 
on the left, I mean, Canales, sometimes he plays out there and he's a class player, but I mean, there's just, the team is not gelling. It feels like, and the striker situation is still not solved. I mean, Borja Valero is, or not Valero. Who am I talking about? Borja. Iglesias. The one that they spent a shit ton of money on yeah. is not producing. Lore Moron. I don't know why he doesn't get it, but look in, he's an Academy product. He's probably the best striker that they have. Not, not starting, um, and and yeah, if Fakir's not not doing it, then it almost seems like if Fakir Canales isn't doing something, then no one is, and so and, and the defense is needs rebuild. I Mark Bantra is not good. I've never rated Mark Bantra to be honest. Sydney yeah. is, is getting up there. Isa Mandi, he's okay. I thought honestly Liverpool were in for him, but that that didn't materialize. Um, yeah. over the summer. So, right. yeah, just Betty's like, they've got pieces here, but it's just not coming together. And, and let, let the, you know, they take their chances with uh, Marcos Llorente, who is a defensive midfielder turned striker. Yeah. <laughs> um, by Cholo Simeone. And then I think, was it Suarez who added the last one? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and Suarez could have had two or three, um, but uh, he, he uh, put a couple of them wide. So, yeah, just frustrating, honestly. Yeah. Um, Betis have to, they need to rethink. Yeah. At Letty, definitely, I, I think they weather an early storm um, from Betis, but after a certain point and certainly after their, after their opener, um, I think it was, it was pretty, pretty one way uh, traffic in the second half. Um, and then obviously Montoya sending off. Um, right you know, puts, puts Betis at a huge disadvantage. So, um, what did you think of the, of the red card itself? Because it was a weird moment where I think, I think it's like a combination of it is a borderline, like denial of a goal scoring opportunity, but it's also a striker, like making an absolute meal out of very minimal contact. Yeah. When I mean, I think that the call was fair enough. It did look like he was impeding him, but that and that's the way that the game is now. You have to make the most out of every like <laughs> every little contact. <laughs> or you're you won't, you're not sure if the referees are going to get it right. So yeah, yeah Martin Montoya. I mean, he. I, yeah, it's it. I think I think it was a red, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. And and from there, it was like there was no. I I didn't feel like Betty's had it in it really in them to to salvage anything. So um started brightly but just faded out. So Yeah, there were a few times where it could have I think it could have been a lot worse um for for Pellegrini's uh men out there because there were a few times that Letty found themselves like through on goal, um, mm-hmm. especially after the sending off and uh just didn't convert. Credit to Claudio Bravo actually for for keeping it tight, I guess. But uh, Marcus Llorente, his goal will have Claudio like a, a bit upset because he actually gives him the eyes and gets him to dive for a cross that was actually a shot. <laughs> this, guy, this guy was a defensive midfielder, like a straight six. Yeah. <laughs> and and Simeone's thought to just put him in the front line. It's incredible. And not really. in like a Fellaini way. Like, no, like in a, like legit, not like I'm going to K 
kick the ball as hard as I can into your chest and you're yeah. gonna do something with it. But or yeah. like just go up to win headers or whatever. Like he's right. yeah. No, like he's actually very talented and has good instincts. It's a it's a pretty wild uh it's a pretty wild situation, um, and one that is fitting of a Simeone side. Like I will make I will have a six in every position. <laughs> <laughs> Six, uh, yeah, <laughs> six. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Musa's Musa Kwanga's conspiracy vote for sixes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no eights, just sixes. Um, so, <laughs> so the last the last uh, thing we'll say about La Liga um, today, I think, is uh, Real Sociedad um, unlikely uh, leaders at the top of at the top of La Liga. They have a game in hand. But they they handle Huesca like very very comfortably um, at the weekend with uh, Oyer Zabel grabs a brace, Porto adds one, and then Alexander Isak uh, actually gets in on the act as well. I will give a shout out to Rafa Mir who scores for Huesca, and it's like one of those classic nine yeah. headers from across, just a bullet header. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously nice to see, but yeah, so see it. I'd like taking care of business and is it weird that I'm thinking maybe this is a Moyes connection, but I'm kind of getting like Everton vibes from Sociedad, like, (laughs) like good, you know, decent attack on paper and so far so good, like, uh, for, for the, uh, the Basque side. Yeah. And I think, I think that is an interesting comparison. And I think I would even say though, that Sociedad, actually have better depth than Everton do. (laughs) Which we'll talk about in a second. (laughs) Yeah. And so, so I think that they're benefiting from that. I mean, they made that signing of David Silva who um, obviously left Manchester city after, you know, winning four premier league titles. And um, this was the first game that I feel like he really pulled the strings. He created eight chances, had two assists. I mean, he was just this David Silva, make no mistake. He can still start for Manchester city. Like yeah. <laughs> he did not have to leave. I I'm pretty sure they would have signed him on a new deal if he wanted to, but uh, um, he was originally supposed to go to Lazio and then just backed out at the last minute and they were furious with Real Sociedad. But oh, that's uh, right. Yeah. But the, you know, it's, it's a great addition for the Sociedad side because he's got, so, like you said, all those players you just listed, Oyasaba, um, uh, Isak, like he just has so many, uh, Porto, so yeah. many targets that he can pick out. And, you know, with the, you know, he is getting up there in age, so he can just kind of sit and, and dictate and just let the, the pace of those three players, um, you know, carry, carry Sociedad. So yeah, they are, they are top. I think that let the have, two games in hand that they could potentially go top. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, good start. Good start for both, for both clubs, honestly. Yeah. Um, and Isak not actually even starting, um, because, you know, uh, William Jose has been starting up top. So, um, yeah, it, it's interesting that they do seem to have pretty, pretty decent strength and depth, um, across and, yeah, David Silva. I mean, the way that we've seen kind of the uh, the comeback of Santi Cazorla, uh, mm. I mean, that indicates to me that David Silva could could simply keep dropping deeper in midfield 
as he gets older <laughs> and just play in like well into his fifties because he's just such a, such a talented player. Um, and he doesn't rely particularly on, on pace or anything like that. Any maybe athleticism. He's, he's particularly just so good with the ball at his feet and can do basically whatever he wants. So, um, yeah, it, it is kind of shocking, especially watching a game like this where he's just running the show and it's like, could city use something like this? Yeah. Well, the fact that Kevin De Bruyne is not starting, I would say yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, well it's, uh, yeah, a wild a wild weekend in Spain, a Clásico, uh, despite no fans, and uh, yeah, it ends with Sociedad top, but Atleti looking very very uh, good value for potentially uh, taking on a, a true title challenge this year. Um, we'll uh, move on next to the Premier League, but first, uh, should we take a break, Mika? Yeah, let's do it. All right, we'll be back in just a second. Welcome back to Hardcore Football. Mika, Premier League this weekend, lots lots and lots of variety in the results, but it all started Friday night. Uh, the two kind of big underdog stories or feel-good stories of this early Premier League season, it's the upstart Aston Villa, like rejuvenated and obviously fresh off of some claiming some very big scalps this year. Um, and Marcelo Bielsa's leads, which has been highly, highly touted and leads came into Villa park and just absolutely manhandled this new look Villa side. <laughs> yeah. Villa come crashing down to earth. They were the last, perfect side remaining in England's top flight, if I'm not mistaken. And, and Leeds just, like you said, came to Villa Park and, and played their way. They have not compromised in Marcelo Bielsa's style whatsoever since coming up from the championship. And for the most part, it's born fruit. Um, Hattrick Bamford, I mean, need we say more? <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was absolutely sensational. I mean, you know, Patrick Bamford, he's come in for a lot of criticism in, in recent seasons, you know, down in the championship. His critics always say he doesn't score enough goals. He misses sitters. He needs a high volume of chances. And um, there's this, from what I understand, this kind of perception of him as like coming from a privileged background, not really that like fighting like English striker, working class type of guy that, that, that <laughs> the fan, some fans identify with. But, um, you know, in this one and and in this one and in the season so far, he's delivered um, some really nice finishes in this one, too. And, and it just shows you why Marcelo Bielsa trusts him and why he continues to pick him because he does have quality. And not only that, he works his ass off for the team. Like the guy is always running and he's just – he just does what Marcelo Bielsa wants. And so it's nice to see a player like him get rewarded after, you know, some kind of iffy times at, at Middlesbrough and, and some of the other clubs that he's been at. Yeah. And, and it's always nice to, to see a player who escaped the clutches of the Chelsea loan army. Um, right. And 
is thriving elsewhere. Um, I mean, you mentioned De Bruyne. He's probably the most famous example, but the, and, you know, um, a, a whole host of others, but, but Patrick Bamford now being the number nine at, at a team that, you know, basically has given him the, the faith and belief that he can be that, um, he's, you know, he's enjoying, enjoying his football and, and he's certainly in a, in a, a really good mood right now. Good goal scoring mood grabs a hat trick, um, and leads by the, they had been, uh, as high as third or, or whatever in the, or fourth in this in the table, but obviously as results shook out throughout the weekend, uh, they end the week sixth. Um, so Leeds not doing too shabby um, in their their first season back in the prem. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible, and um, I think um, you know on Aston Villa too. I think it this shows you kind of their. Well, you know, while I think that in a lot of ways they did have a very, very good transfer window and I'm not going to back down from that. I still think that's true. This this game really showed you what can happen when Jack Grealish isn't really at the races. Um, Not for want of trying. It's just he was just ineffective, which is rare for him. And so, yeah, Aston Villa just I felt like they really couldn't get anything going either through him or around him. So, um, like I said, they come back down to earth. But uh, the thing with Leeds too that that and it you know it is kind of a cliche but I think it comes from some truth that they play this really aggressive really physical style and you just kind of have to wonder if that's sustainable um you know the championship is unforgiving probably the most unforgiving league in the in the world in terms of the sheer amount of fixtures and the physicality of that league and um so, you know, they were able to do that down there. So maybe it's not a, a worry in the Premier League, but at the same time, you're playing much better opposition in the Premier League. And so right. um, that I think maybe that's just something to to keep an eye on. I wonder how, how uh, Marcelo Bielsa manages that, I guess, and manages fitness, manages morale and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, it'll be very interesting um, because, yeah, they I mean, they are playing less games so you would think that maybe he has an opportunity um and and i think to this season and one thing that we haven't really mentioned i think all of the teams that aren't participating in europe are going to be at like an inherent advantage um Mm. this season so i think that's why we keep seeing these kind of like odd results uh and it'll start to get weirder as the champions league and europa league get deeper into the competition um but these teams that don't have to contend with the midweek games uh, during European fixtures, like they could be um, flying. And I think Bielsa of all people is going to benefit hugely from not having those extra, those extra matches um, given that, you know, leads depth wise are not at the level of a lot of the, the, you know, more established premier league clubs towards the top. Um, So the uh, the weird results though kind of keep going and mm-hmm. West Ham hold Man City. Um, not it's not becoming that rare of a sight for us to see City held to a draw. They're struggling. They're struggling big time. Um, I mean, again, there's no Kevin De Bruyne to start this one. 
Uh, and it's I, it's becoming increasingly apparent. I mean, I think it already was apparent that he is so important to the side because he comes on in the second half for for Bernardo Silva, who's having a stinker of a season so far, honestly, um, and and creates a bunch of chances. They're just not able to put it away. But you know, big credit to West Ham again. Like I, one of my hot takes at the beginning of the season was that they wouldn't win like their opening six or seven fixtures and they're doing just fine. Yeah. Um, David Moyes, you know, there, some people were, were saying maybe he's better managing over zoom than in the stadium <laughs> <laughs> coming back from uh, having, you know, coronavirus. They've, they've been fine. Mikel Antonio, his overhead kick is insane. Like just yeah. an insane bit of quality and basically uses Ruben Diaz as like a backboard. <laughs> <laughs> dunking it um so that was a really good goal but of course you know things go wrong for West Ham often and, and it looks like Mikel Antonio goes off with like a hamstring injury which is really unfortunate because he has been excellent for them um he's got I think it's nine goals in his last 10 so yeah. uh, you know that's a big big miss if that's a serious one and uh yeah um Decent result for West Ham, but I, I wonder if it, they're even more worried to have lost Mikel Antonio than whatever they got out of this this match. It that does give a problem, I think, to David Moyes because for the quality that I think both of us have seen previously from Sebastian Aller, like he's not mm-hmm. the same type of forward that Mikel Antonio is. Mikel Antonio almost defies logic because he, similar to Marcus Llorente, doesn't fit like any normal striker archetype. Um, but right. he just is one. Like he's just instinctive, I guess, uh, is the best way that I can describe Mikel Antonio. And uh, Allaire is is just a different he's a very different player. Like he's definitely a nine, but he's, he's a, just a, a very different presence up front for West Ham. So it's, it'll be very interesting to see how they adapt. If Antonio's absence is, is any longer than, you know, a game or two. Yeah. You know, can we talk real quick though, about how like England forwards are going off lately? Like Antonio, <laughs> Ings, Kane, Vardy, Calvert-Lewin, Shay Adams like yeah. it's it's does this give Gareth Southgate like any pause like <laughs> I, I feel like they have a lot of options I mean yeah. Hardy's retired from the side but like right. um yeah I mean Bamford I mean I, I don't think Bamford gets in the England team but I mean just the, it's cool to see England strikers you know doing the business yeah yeah it's an interesting thing too because i feel like for a, a while it was sort of a dry well um and now now their their cup runneth over um but yeah city city actually with a game in hand it should be noted but they are below west ham in the table uh west ham 12th um and city eighth or sorry 13th both on eight points um and west ham have the advantage on goal difference uh city have scored eight and conceded eight in five matches so far this season so so they're just like bang average like, <laughs> average i guess <laughs> the thing for me about bad the thing is for me about this game is 
a lot of the chances fall to Raheem Sterling and he's unable to convert them, which has been a criticism of Sterling for years. We thought, I think, that he was turning a corner there, but Sterling kind of remains wasteful uh, for City. I almost sneezed. My bad. Um, (laughs) You're good. (laughs) Yeah, he has... He, I mean... I don't know. I hope this is just like a, an anomaly because I think for the most part, Pep Guardiola has addressed that issue in terms of finishing, but the the team just looks, they look, I, Pep Guardiola almost, he almost looks like he doesn't like his own side. <laughs> um, like, I feel like he's not convinced by his own players. Does that make any sense? Like, I just, I, I don't know. It's like just, he's, something's not right there. Like he's writing out the team sheet and being like, uh, guess. Yeah. Like <laughs> I just feel like for, I, and this is very like not city, but I just feel like there's like a kind of no, not no joined up thinking, but like just they, it just seems like Pep and the team and the hierarchy are not necessarily on the same page as they have been in recent seasons, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Um no, I think so, it I think I mean, it comes I, I think it comes across in in just the way they play and um I think, you know, obviously I think there's something up with Sergio Aguero. I don't know like what the deal is. Um but he's been kind of in and out and obviously like has had injury pro- it, not injury problems, but you know, he he misses a fair few games like due to injury and Gabriel Jesus yeah. kind of similar in that respect. And yeah, it, it's just odd because you're used to seeing this free flowing, just like wave after wave of city attack um, over the last few years. And you just watch this team. And, and I think a lot of people have struggled with the, with this like idea, but it's like some, like I know that I'm watching city and I know that I, I know it's Manchester city and I know it's a lot of the same players that I've seen, you know, play for them at their absolute height. It just doesn't look the same. It just, there's something off about it. Like Mm -hmm. the way that they play just doesn't have the same results that, that it has recently. And even though I'm, I know I'm seeing like, yep. Sterling. Yep. Okay. Mares or, you know, De Bruyne or Aguero, but it just isn't coming together the same way. It's like some tiny piece like fell out and, you know, we have to like turn out, you know, we have to like blow into the cartridge on the Nintendo or whatever <laughs> to like get it working again. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's makes you wonder if Pep will ink a new deal at, uh, at the Etihad because I don't know. I don't know if the players are just getting tired of his message or, or what, what it is. Um, you can't say that, he hasn't, they haven't had sufficient squad turnover because they have, but, uh, certainly just weird, weird times at the Etihad. The we'll go across Manchester, um, to Manchester United, Chelsea build as a marquee matchup the whole weekend. And fans of the premier league were treated to an absolutely dull nil nil draw um that didn't offer a whole lot in way of excitement especially from this chelsea side that has spelt spent so much on attacking talent 
Yeah, and you know, you you look at the lineup: Werner, Pulisic, Havertz, Havertz. Like the the big guns start, you know, and it just wasn't. It was. I'm so pissed off that I watched this game. Honestly, <laughs> um, I think Chelsea will feel they should have won or at least scored a goal. That that uh, wrestling move that Harry Maguire pulls on Cesar Azpilicueta, I think it was, yeah. was ridiculous i i mean what is var for in if it's not reviewing that incident i mean it's so it's egregious right i mean like i'm not crazy in saying this is like ridiculous a ridiculous miscall oh yeah it's it's horrible like if the ramos if if the ramos shirt pull is a penalty then this is like a red he has him in a half nelson like that's that's the level as the ball as they challenge for the ball in the box like yeah and he don't even understand he wins the header like that's because i think most often the argument against giving penalties for the like wrestling and grappling in the box is because oh like it was away from the ball or they weren't getting to the ball anyways type thing. Like they can officials can kind of like let themselves off the hook that way. Um, in this case, Harry Maguire wins the header, which is, suggests that as Piliqueta like would have had a chance at winning it if he wasn't being completely <laughs> subdued in the, <laughs> yeah in the penalty area. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was shocking. And yeah, I mean, neither side are able to break through. I thought Edouard Mendy was was good, um, yeah. the new Chelsea goalkeeper. But I guess, like, when you're coming in for Kepa, everyone looks good. So then uh, <laughs> Chelsea have kept a couple clean sheets. So I guess it's something to to build on um, because they, you know, Lord knows they've looked sus at the back. So I guess I think Chelsea probably feel a bit – I think both both managers probably feel – okay about this result and whether they want to admit that or not is another thing but i think i think it's really interesting in light of the win in paris manchester united uh obviously looking to to build a platform off of that but at the same time ollie gunner solshire making a couple of key changes chief among them juan mata and uh daniel james come in um and Rashford and Bruno Fernandes are are still in there, but it still gives this team kind of a very different feel in attack and and maybe a little less danger um than when Martial or or um what's his name Mason Greenwood are yeah. involved um from the, from the the outset um little bit of a strange team selection given the potential, I guess, you know, like bump they could have gotten from that result in Paris. Yeah, I think, well, I think Martial started in Paris, so that was probably just a, a matter of managing minutes. Right. Mason Greenwood, he's come in for a little bit of criticism, if I'm not mistaken, with, uh, you know, first the mishap on England duty with having girls in the room i guess when they were supposed to be observing like a covid bubble and then some rumors that he's been like showing up late to carrington and just i mean only gunner social obviously denies all that but uh he's not seeing the pitch i guess as much as you might think 
I, I mean, I don't mind the the selection of Juan Mata. I feel like it. I don't. It kind of almost makes sense because he can probably tear that that Chelsea back line up with some of these passing. But sure. uh, yeah, on the day, just neither side were really able to to do too much. I think uh, Rashford had one decent like curling effort towards yeah. the end that Edouard Mendy gets gets gloves to, and it looked like a better save than it was. I think it was pretty routine, but it, like <laughs> watching it, it looked nice. Right. <laughs> Just because probably because Kepa would let that in. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it was dull. It was pretty dull. Yeah. And Manchester United have now failed to win any of their first three home games in a league campaign for the first time since 1972, 1973. Oh my God. And they haven't won. They, they haven't won a home game in five um, stretching back to last season. So it's a little bit of a strange, the empty old Trafford has not been a, uh, has not been a, a happy hunting ground for Manchester United crazy um we'll stay in the in the north well i guess we'll head south uh to southampton uh where league leaders everton went and got their own dose of reality um (laughs) dished out by what was a very tactically sound and in the two moments uh where they did score lethal southampton performance um, which also saw Luca Dean uh, sent off uh, for a uh, for a stamp uh, on the <laughs> on the Achilles of uh, of well I can't remember who was dribbling actually but Luca Dean sent off uh, Everton remain top for the time being but now level on points with Liverpool after this loss um, Ralph Hassenhudel has there's something about this this Southampton side now. Yeah, I, I think it was actually. I thought I heard somewhere that this was one year from the nine nil. Oh wow! One the one year anniversary of that shocking result at St Mary's against I think it was Leicester. Um, so to see a year later that this man is still in charge is is awesome because any any other organization I think would have sacked <laughs> the manager responsible for a nine nil immediately, but they've allowed Ralph Hasenhutl to to really you know, coach this squad. He's a good manager and a good coach. Like tactically he makes players better. Um, clearly they are all on the same hymn sheet and, and playing as a team and, and Shea Adams. I mean, he really looks like a player. Um, he scores in this one. And uh, I think his, his life to Southampton was, it started a little bit slowly after, you know, scoring a bunch of goals for, uh, I can't remember who it was in the championship, but uh, um He's starting to click that that partnership with Ings. I think is is a really good one, and, and yeah, Everton. Uh, they they also like Villa come crashing down to earth after both of them were at the the top of the table together. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I think I think we're starting to see a little bit uh, some of the cracks there, maybe um, in, in Everton's armor, but. Um, yeah, we'll see. Now, now they're at without probably their best defender because of the red card. That's no bueno. And and an important part of their attack too. I mean, we saw in the Merseyside derby, he he assists Calvert Lewin, and his crossing ability is is obviously in high demand. He's good from dead balls as well. And sure. uh, yeah, so they will they will miss him um, while he serves his suspension. What did you did you? 
make anything of Ancelotti's comments that basically he thought the sending off was a joke and it was uh, spurred on by the the all the talk around Pickford and Richarlison uh, in the Merseyside <laughs> Derby. No, because that would that implies a level of competence that these referees do not have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're smart enough to put, you know, to give a call like that because of something that happened last week or two weeks ago. Um, it's a red card, like all day, 100%. like he's dragging his boot on man's heel. Um, I don't think it's. I don't know that it's intentional, but I mean that doesn't really matter. So. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's just doing the the thing where he tries to deflect attention from uh from from his side. Um, but no, yeah, it's a red all day. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was disappointed because I think the prettiest of Southampton's goals was actually disallowed, um, which uh, for offside uh, and rightly, you know, by the by the rules, it wasn't like a controversial one or anything like that. Um, but the Shea Adams goal itself and that partnership with Danny Ings that you were talking about, Danny Ings actually starts that goal out wide on the left um, and makes a run down the channel with the ball and then crosses for Shea Adams, which is such a non-Danny Ings sort of thing, carrying the ball and then crossing. He's he's yeah. normally that poacher, um, but we are we're kind of truly seeing like the final form of Danny Ings right now. It's incredible. It's really incredible. And I think he's, uh, he's managed to stay relatively healthy for Southampton, which I think is a big boon for them, which is something I think he struggled with at Liverpool now. Yeah. Yeah. He had yeah. a couple of very major injuries like, uh, like ACL type stuff. Right. Fun fact. And I finally remembered who Shea Adams played for was Birmingham city. Yeah. But uh, his fun fact about Shay, his full name is Shay Zach Everton Fred Adams. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought that was kind of funny. That's that great. His name literally contains the word Everton. <laughs> um, it's worth noting, too, we spoke about how England strikers are going off. Um, the interesting stat from this from this match for Southampton and key to their victory is Dominic Calvert-Lewin only touches the ball 18 times, uh, no dr- zero out of three dribbles completed, and zero shots, um, and just three passes completed in the final third. So, yeah, they uh, they absolutely shut him down in the most uh, most effective way that we've seen. We, we haven't seen anyone really able to contain him and uh and Southampton did just that and they get their get their reward with the 2-0 win um yeah a massive uh kind of blow to Everton's what had been an undefeated start not a perfect start obviously with the draw in the Merseyside derby last week but um Right. But a a loss now, um, and no perfect teams um, left inter or no undefeated teams left in the league. Um, which last season it obviously took much longer to get to that level. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, Liverpool. Liverpool uh, on the other side of of Merseyside, they uh, eke out a, a two one win against Sheffield United. The big talking point initially was the the VAR decision to 
uh, award a penalty to Sheffield United in uh, w- when Fabinho uh, made a tackle that looked to he looked to win the ball, um, but it also looked potentially outside of the area. It was awarded as a foul and then upgraded to a penalty by VAR. What did you uh, What did you make of that whole sequence? I thought it was a foul because it looks like he steps on, I think it was Ollie McBurney's like toes. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it looks like a foul, but it also clearly looks outside the area, <laughs> um, even on VAR. Right. So again, like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, that's an annoying one. I mean, I, I'm kind of glad, I guess, at the end of the day that Liverpool do win because that was just stupid. In my opinion, <laughs> I don't understand wh- what was what that was. Yeah, it's not it's not a penalty for me. Yeah, it was a bit it it was a, a bit of a strange one. I think for sure. Um, I think I think too, given just the yeah, it, I don't know. It it's very strange, like what they're willing to look at forensically and kind of like break down to the blade of grass or the you know. I think, and I think that's what most people have been talking about with VAR is like, it seems so inconsistent where there can be an incident like off the ball or something like that. And like VAR won't even go back and look at it, even though they're showing it on TV replays, but then like a foul, a foul like that, it's like, okay, let's zoom and enhance like until I can (laughs) make a decision about whether this was, you know, on the line or like over the line or whatever, whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, in the end it ends, you know, I guess it ends up not mattering, but it definitely, it definitely made the task a little bit tougher for Liverpool with them getting the, with, you know, once you spot Sheffield United a goal, like they're going to set up very specifically. Uh, and, uh, luckily Liverpool's Liverpool able to turn it around and, and Bobby Firmino getting a, a goal at Anfield as well, even though it was kind of a, you know, scraps like poachers finish um and then uh a a nice header from Diogo Jota who seems to be settling quite well um at Liverpool and doesn't look out of place uh despite the fact that he you know just arrived over this shortened off season yeah I think I'd I'd said before that I think it'll take a little bit of time for Jota to kind of learn his teammates moves I felt like he was kind of getting in the way of uh, Salah and Mane and Firmino even in some games that he played, but it looks like he's settling in nicely. And what a leap. Like, I didn't know that he <laughs> could do that, um, but he was also like virtually unchallenged. So um, I'm, I'm a little worried about Sheffield. I wonder if the magic has run out for Chris Wilder's side. Um, they are winless, if I'm not mistaken, down there with Fulham. So yeah. Um, yeah, something's got to change pretty quickly for Blades, or it's going to be, yeah, I, it, it'll get it'll get dicey for them. Yeah, I I do I do think the signing of Rian Brewster gives them a little something up top, um, <laughs> but he's obviously you know he he has only done it for Swansea at a championship level, and the Premier League is a very different very different beast as we spoke about with with Leeds and. Um, I think, I think if he can adapt quickly, they can, they can maybe be a little bit better off than the teams around them. But yeah, with just one point, um, 
so far uh, and, you know, level with Burnley and Fulham down at the at the very uh, bottom of the table. It's going to take some some doing um, for them to, you know, turn it around and, and climb up to the upper reaches. Luckily, it's it's still early for them. And I don't think anyone wants to see them uh, go down after what was a you know very impressive campaign last year. But it uh, it's definitely not going to be easy um, for uh, for the blades to to try to turn this one around. The uh, the last the last Premier League match we'll talk about, unfortunately for you, Mika, <laughs> uh, Arsenal at the Emirates uh, lose one nil to Leicester City. Jamie Vardy grabbing the lone goal, and this is a this was a game that I think we I don't know that Brendan Rodgers tactical masterclass is something that I'm prepared to talk about. Um, (laughs) But he does end up getting it almost exactly right in, in London. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Brendan Rogers really got the tactic spot on and um, highlighted. I think that Mikel Arteta still does have a lot to learn um, in his own managerial journey, if you will. Um, I mean, Lester, they set a trap and we fell right into it of just absorbing, absorbing, absorbing pressure and then bring on pace and nick it at the end. Yeah. Uh, they were excellent um, in terms of executing their game plan. We were horrible in terms of trying to create anything <laughs> whatsoever. I mean, I was, you know, as an Arsenal fan, I was encouraged to see Mikel Arteta trot out this 4-3-3. It's something that we think he's been wanting to do and why it was so important that we get Thomas Partey so that we could do that because this five, two, three or three, four, three that we've been running for a while now is, is out of necessity because defensively we were a shambles. Um, I think that Arteta has arrested that, that part of our game in terms of improving us defensively, we're very solid now. Um, even with only, you know, we added Gabriel Magalhães and that helps, but a lot of the same personnel back there too. So, you know, we've improved that, but creatively it's just not happening. Like there's just, we just, we need, we need a 10. We need someone, we need someone who can run with the ball and make things happen and link defense and attack. Like the midfield is just our best midfielder was David Luiz and he comes off (laughs) injured, which is like, ridiculous to say i mean i say midfielder but you know he was in the back line but lester were happy to just let him knock it any which way and he was and it was it was creating stuff for us and and you know i think that the lacazette goal at the near post being chalked off was extremely harsh like i don't (laughs) i don't understand like i really don't (laughs) like what the, the rationale, I guess, is that Granachaka was impeding the goalkeeper, like his line of sight, which no, he wasn't. <laughs> I saw nothing wrong with this goal, as biased as I am. Yeah. Um, but I've seen plenty of non-Arsenal fans say, like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> we right. should have, that should have counted. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, and then Jamie Vardy comes on and you just, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he isolate he and, and Chinkazunda isolate the defender and uh they score and, and that's it and they, they leave the Emirates with all three points. So 
a lot for Mikel Arteta to, to, to learn. And I, I just worry that in giving us this defensive solidity, it also has leaded to or led to, excuse me, rigidity in attack. Um, so I, I don't know if that's if we solve that in the transfer market or if he needs to change something in the way that he sets up matches. So Chengi's under, you mentioned, obviously we all know Vardy, obviously, and the impact that, that he has in this match and the impact he can have Chengi's under though, uh, on loan from Roma and maybe one of the more underrated pieces of business, uh, in the premier league. Yeah. Yeah. He was, Great for Roma. I mean, he took up a lot of the things that Mohamed Salah used to do for Roma when after after Mo Salah left for Liverpool and um, Leicester just they've steadily done a lot of good business over the years. I mean, you look at the team and and I think uh, in a lot of areas they are stronger than Arsenal. And I mean, midfield James Madison, Yuri Tielemans, Cheng um, of course. Um, the other Turk, the the one your your twin. Phil. <laughs> oh, in in central defense, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Soyuncu, my bad. Soyuncu, yeah. yes. So yeah, and uh, they've done they've done a lot of good business, and then and of course Vardy aging like fine wine. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a weird start for Leicester, but I mean. It's been kind of a weird start for everybody, though. It That's has like, been a weird start for everyone, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. Um, um, well, one of the pieces of business that they did, one of the good pieces of business that they did was one uh, Wesley Fofana from mm. San Etienne. Um, and yeah, he uh, he comes straight into the team and stood kind of for you in stark contrast with a recent Arsenal signing from the same club, William Saliba. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, big ups, first of all, to Wesley Fofana. I thought he had a fantastic game. He dealt with that, our left side extremely well um, in, in the one-on-one battles and positionally, I thought he was really good. Um, he's 19 years old. He, like you said, comes from Saint Etienne. He was, you know, for a time, William Saliba's defensive partner. And there is some debate, you know, among among people in the game that Wesley Fofana is actually the better prospect. And they certainly paid a little, you know, a little bit more money than we did, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but you know, as an Arsenal fan, it just makes me wonder, like, if if he can start for Leicester. Why can't William Saliba start for Arsenal? It's it's a weird one. And I understand, you know, he's young. He He's in a new country. He's in a new league. He did have some personal issues over the summer um, with the death of somebody in his family. So, you know, that's not to be taken lightly. And, and I understand that the club want to make sure that they develop this player carefully. But, again, like – very, very comparable to, to Wesley Favana's situation. He also is in a new league, new club, new language, 19 years old. Like, it's just, it's a little bit, you know, it's it it's the obvious narrative, but one that I think, as Arsenal fans, we have to be thinking, like, what's going on there? It's, yeah, it's an interesting situation, given the, given the, the, I think, 
excitement around the signing of Saliba initially and him going back on loan and then like all of the sort sort of other things that have taken place in the meantime while Fofana kind of bided his time and then gets gets a move uh to the Premier League and is straight into um this Leicester side which is which is interesting um and Soyuncu you know uh not not in available um at the moment so um timely in terms of Fafana's inclusion um and uh it is always uh it's always a little interesting for me to see a guy uh like a prospect in the vein of of Fafana next to you know the likes of Johnny Evans and Christian Fuchs in <laughs> in defense, right. but yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, Lester, Lester coming out the victors in in what was largely a pretty cagey match, I think. You know, and obviously that's kind of what Brendan Rodgers wanted um, in his in his selection, uh, and uh, it's Arsenal's uh, first Premier League home defeat of 2020. And their first loss at the Emirates in the Premier League since Mikel Arteta's first game in charge, the 2-1 loss to Chelsea in December 2019. So it's been a long stretch of of joy at the Emirates, um, but unfortunately it came to an end this weekend as they were outfoxed by Brendan Rodgers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See what you did there. Um, well, we've got plenty more to talk about. Um, I think we'll we'll do Ligon and Syria on next. Uh, but first, I think we will take a quick break. Welcome back to Hardcore Football. Uh, on to Ligon and Mika. I wanted to start this off talking about Claude Puel's Sanatien because Wesley Fofana departs Sanatien on a great run of... They started the season on a great run of form. Uh, mm-hmm. And since his departure, they have lost their last four Ligon games. And uh, it is their long, their longest. It's the longest current run of any team uh, in in Liga Un, and Saint Etienne's longest losing streak in the top flight um, since February at the end of last season, which was also four. Um, they're going through a pretty rough patch ever since Wesley uh, left for the the sunny shores of England. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they like, I think we kind of chatted a little bit about them last time, but, you know, they did get Red Sauce on loan from Leverkusen. So hopefully that is going to help bolster the back line. But I mean, you look at the team and it's just, it's not, it's not the same. I mean, they've got um, Mukuri, who I don't know too much about, but they've got next to him, Timothy Kolodzicak, who I do know a lot about. He played for Gladbach for for a time (laughs) and then like, fucked off to like Liga MX for a bit. <laughs> and I think he's still like on loan from like Tigres or whoever he was yeah. with at Saint Etienne. <laughs> so like, 
just a real makeshift uh, defense back there. And of course, Debushi, the Arsenal legend, uh, still playing right back for them. Um, yeah, Santetien are in a bad, bad spot at the moment. And Club Huel, I mean, I don't know. He's, he's, I've never been able to really get a, a read on, on Club Huel as a manager because to the public, he's very like subdued and serious. And so it's hard to kind of tell really what he's like i mean he keeps getting big jobs so i mean obviously he's a good coach but i i don't know it's it's looking a little bit dicey for the stefan was so yeah it's a it's a in this one pretty interesting result um because mace uh mets uh if you're looking at it in the and in the german spelling i guess um (laughs) but mace in french uh mets started the they started the the week obviously below uh San Etienne in the table they end it they end it 10th um via the 2-0 win over San Etienne and Fried Boulaya um in midfield was pulling the string for for Mace like the the entire game and scores a wonderful free kick um to uh give them the lead I think um the interesting thing about this particular free kick is that San Etienne's uh, keeper, uh, Moulin, uh, ends up, <laughs> as he dives for the ball, he doesn't get there, obviously, and his face uh, drags across, like, the wet, uh, like, end line, and <laughs> he... So he stands up like the goal's gone in. They're showing the celebrations and they cut back to the goalkeeper who just has a giant patch of white on his face. (laughs) I was like (laughs) just adding insult to injury. So, um, but yeah, a stunning first goal. The second goal from San Etienne from Alpha Sissoko is it's a horrible own goal. Like it, it's 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 worse than Tagliafico's own goal against Liverpool in the Champions League for Ajax. It's Oof. it's just bad. Like it's it's just rough. Um, no no Mace player really around the ball. Like it's just it's it's not good. Um, and uh, San Etienne fall to a fourth consecutive defeat. Um, the highest profile match in terms of the table was nice taking on Lille um in nice and played out to a 1-1 draw casper dolberg and burek yilmaz uh almost two different generations of players um but two you know kind of classic strikers and two strikers goals dolberg threw on goal with a nice little chip and then Burak Yilmaz, when he was through on goal, just absolutely hammers the shot, uh, <laughs> like roofs it basically, um, and canceling each other out in this one, and and Nice and Lille unable to be uh, unable to be separated. Yeah, they you you hit the nail on the head. They both were strikers' goals, but they were both also very different in terms of the skills. Um, I love Dolberg's finish. I mean, the touch, the balance, the the chip, everything about it was was perfect. Um, just shows you that that Ajax schooling um, <laughs> with the, you know his work with the ball. Um, so he's able to put Patrick Vieira's side on the board. But Brook Yilmaz, uh, he just gets separation with that 
with uh, I think Jordan Latomba on that that far side who was just totally not marking him whatsoever and is able <laughs> to kind of make that diagonal and just like hammer it like you said so you know nothing nothing to separate these two sides this time but uh, yeah some really good finishes and that's Yilmaz's fourth straight goal I believe so yeah um, he's in, he's in good form for for Lille. It's it's worth noting too that Barak Yilmaz is thirty five years old. Um, <laughs> and made his senior debut in 2002 for Antalya Spor in Turkey. Um, and like that's the I was literally in like middle school, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 2002, like, I don't know, we're talking about what, uh, the South Korea Japan World Cup was that is that accurate yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah that is the year that he made his senior debut for for Antalya Sport and he scored a shit ton of goals in Turkey yeah honestly like for for Trabzonspor Galatasaray Besiktas so this is his first time like in the the a top five league and he's yeah. he's doing doing the bits for for leo so it's cool it is crazy it, it's a weird arc uh career-wise because it's not it's not the traditional kind of like oh a few good years in turkey and get a move to a a big team he's or, like done he's like done it out of order because he's been like to turkey and then he went to <laughs> china and then he's come to like france it's kind yeah. of odd also also <laughs> an odd uh a really odd uh player in that he has played for both fenerbahce and galatasaray and besiktas so like he has played yeah. for all like, total of the mercenary yeah <laughs> that would that'd be like a, that's literally if a player played for manchester united manchester city chelsea liverpool like that's like <laughs> You can't do all of it like they. That's not how this works, right? Right. But, that's crazy. But it does for him, and and it worked in this one. Leal and uh, and Nice um, unable to be separated. Leal um, keeping the pace as it stands with PSG at the top of the table and and level on eighteen. They miss a chance to potentially go above the you know seemingly perennial champions, but the <laughs> the dogs, <laughs> hanging, <laughs> the dogs, they're hanging around. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. They're doing really well. Christophe Gaultier is a, is a good manager, and um, it's it just seems like that they're they're very Lille sell very well. Um, I'm starting to think they really fleeced Arsenal on on Nicola Pepe, <laughs> <laughs> um, and they sold uh, Aussie Man for a huge fee as well. So, and they're they're able to just keep plugging the holes with with smart buys and and players from from France and and from their their system so and this was well this was also on the back of a 4-1 win over Sparta Prague in the Europa League and so some uh not able to you know capitalize as as much uh against this Nice team but they've got Celtic uh in the next match day of the Europa League so potentially a chance to build on some European success and then it's Lyon when they when they return and Lyon had a game of their own this weekend. They took on Monaco and Lyon took advantage of some pretty shocking Monaco defending um, on on route to a 4-1 victory. Yeah, Monaco looks so, so, so naive. And, it, and like, 
Leon kept tearing them apart with the same like counterattack over and <laughs> over and like these diagonals. They could not deal with the diagonal runs from from Carl Tokoy Kambi, um, who scores twice in mm-hmm. this one. And um Awa got got a goal from the penalty spot and then assisted Depay's opener. Um, and I'm sure you enjoyed that little shout out to, to Big Verge, right? Yeah. <laughs> from, from Memphis. <laughs> um, Leon do end up getting a man sent off, but I mean, it, at that point, it really didn't matter. Monaco just, they look so naive. And, and, and uh, you know, one of the things that Nico Kovac was tasked with doing when they brought him in is to strengthen that side of their game. And um, yeah, it's not, it's not looking like that so far. And can I just say, I I had to do a double take when I was looking at this game because Benjamin Leconte in goal looks so much like Joe Hart. I was like, is that Joe Hart? <laughs> like, I thought he was at first. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was just me or maybe it was just like, I I don't know. But I, I thought it was Joe Hart. And I was like, well, no wonder they're getting battered. But then it was not. Um, <laughs> a weird one in this, in this game is, uh, for those who don't know, um, Cesc Fabregas is still playing for Monaco and came on um, in in this game, uh, not to any great effect, but it's jarring almost to see his name on a team sheet. Yeah, I can't even believe Cesc has legs anymore. Like, <laughs> to I, I don't know. Yeah, I always thought that was a bit of an odd signing, but... I guess, <laughs> <laughs> but Nico Nico Kovac, as you as you brought up, I mean, obviously this is his first job since since being kind of unceremoniously sacked at Bayern. Monaco, you know, not so distant in their past was the you know massive investment and uh, like challenging at you know the very heights of France and Europe and and actually claiming a league and title and and all of these uh all of these honors and a Champions League semifinal and you know killing Mbappe and all <laughs> all of these kind of feathers in their cap and and now Monaco just they feel distinctly like mid table like they feel at home as a mid table league inside right now yeah, I think that's probably the most that they can hope for this year. I think um, the likes of Lyon, Lille, Nice, Marseille even are probably, I I would think, going to be a little bit more competitive. I mean, Monaco, they, they have a lot of money and they have a lot of talent. It's just about, I guess, finding the right man for the job. I don't know if Niko Kovac is that yet. Um, but yeah, the, the Croatian will have some work to do, obviously. Uh, normal service resumed for for the champions PSG. Uh, Dijon uh, just ran through four four nil. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, no, we that, I talk mean about that. Like <laughs> <laughs> normal normal service resumed uh, after what was a you know disappointing defeat to Man United at home in the cha- to get their Champions League uh, campaign off and running and uh the alarm bells were sounding for Thomas Tuchel. Um I think the question maybe worth asking is you know does that goal over from United lengthen Solskjaer's tenure enough for PSG to get Pochettino in? <laughs> How hilarious would that be if 
if uh, these clutch moments from Rashford and the like keep extending Ole to the point of losing Pochettino PSG, <laughs> that would be, oh my God. <laughs> Just inadvertent, inadvertent L's. Uh, by right. <laughs> like L's disguised by, as doves. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah the psg back to back to business um with a with a comfortable win over dijon and and so france looking a little more normal but lille and stadren uh still hanging around marseille and nice uh just there in in fourth and fifth and Lyon now up to six so a more kind of uh familiar you know top top end of of the league and table uh emerging after after eight match days now um as we head to italy though Serie A was just decided to be pure chaos this week um <laughs> and we can start with uh the match that actually took place today um ac milan three roma three um it starts in the second minute with Rafael Liao finding Zlatan and AC Milan are seemingly off to the races. A uh, lot of back and forth in this game. A couple of soft penalties. Uh, lot, lots of just chaos. But the real takeaway here, I think, um, from either from either side, the biggest thing I saw anyways, was the emergence of Rafael Liao uh as a genuine threat and a, and a, just a a uh well a great partner to Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yeah, like you said he plays that ball over the top for Ibra who's able to stab it home for the the opener and we've seen this this combination over the past couple of weeks between the two of them and I I I love it because you know Rafael was you know he's tipped to be one of the stars of 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 this next generation coming up and you know dubbed the the Portuguese Mbappe and and all that so <laughs> um he he looks like he's thriving um by by getting to play and, and learn alongside you know one of the best strikers of the past you know 15 years in Zlatan Ibrahimovic <laughs> so um you know Zlatan adds a penalty too and then Alexis Salamakers also scores for Milan who who's been a really good signing um from I think he was on loan at first and then joined permanently from Andalest so um Roma though they wouldn't go away I mean, <laughs> they would not go away. And Jekko, they he heads them, and you know, with the first one, and then a penalty for Vertu, I think, and then Marash Kambula scores really late. So uh, Roma, you know, they fought, and uh, I think AC Milan were perfect until this until tonight. So yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, I think Rafael is is definitely the most interesting thing about about this Milan team so far, and I, I like to see the the young players thriving in in big sides. Yeah, I think, and the the evolution of this Milan side into one that can score goals is is a welcome change because they've been just boring to watch for years now. Yeah, <laughs> they just haven't had that sharp edge, and I find it absolutely fascinating that adding Zlatan has provided that because. Um, you know, obviously, I, I think we all kind of chalked <laughs> chalked his career up um, in any kind of serious level. Um, but the the uh, that partnership with with Liao is is 
turning out to be something pretty special. Um, for for Roma, I I think like it's not dissimilar to what we've seen to start the season in that they they can definitely take their chances and they can find their moments, um, but they aren't very solid defensively, um, and like they are prone to these these sorts of weird games where they just kind of get into into shootouts um and uh yeah i i think we you know we saw we've seen it kind of throughout the season for for roma so i'm i'm interested to see where they actually end up um you know as we because they got into a similar game against juve like where it ends 2-2 and so against the top sides it seems like they can get they can find that gear but it's almost like once they go behind that's when they hit the level of of actually pushing back but they they just never seemed likely to get a winner um you know or or even take control of this game it was always they were kind of reacting to ac milan's last goal yeah yeah i think that's right and i can't believe i'm saying this but i feel like a lot of the stability comes out of roma without chris smalling (laughs) (laughs) which is crazy but smalling is was excellent for them last season and he's He's dealing with a, an injury. It probably won't be back until till next month. But right. yeah, it's the stability back there is is not the same when you have to to sub in, you know, Roger Banias for for example, and um, and Mirante and goal. Who I don't know why he starts over Paulo Lopez, who is arguably Spain's best keeper. When you see what De Gea and Kepa are doing. Uh, so, yeah. so yeah, Roma's an interesting one. Just another one of those like capital clubs that should, that are like just constantly like dramatic <laughs> hair to hair to vibes. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Fonseca's got, got, I don't know. I think he's got his work cut out for him, um, uh, with the, the, the personnel they've got and they've obviously, they've shed a couple of pieces because they've done some pretty poor business. I think over, they obviously have some very, some very good players. Um, but you know, kind of ditching Cliver and all of that, like it's, it's all a little bit strange. Um, the, just the team they've put together doesn't make a lot of cohesive sense, uh, in my mind, but they do have some very interesting pieces and, and, that shows through in a three, three result like this wasn't the only three, three of the weekend though, which is pretty wild. Uh, Sassuolo who find themselves up in the upper reaches of the table, uh, to start this season face off against a Torino side who was really struggling, um, yeah. to get things going this year. And the result was a three, three, uh, draw played in, some of the densest fog I've I've seen in I don't know I've ever seen at a sporting event. This was like kind of wild, like how this went ahead. Yeah, I, I you had me watch the highlights before we started recording, and I thought at first that something was wrong with my screen, but yeah. no, they were literally just playing in a fucking cloud. Yeah, like. <laughs> It was amazing, and, and the ball is white. So yeah. <laughs> the Serie A match ball is white. So it just like every shot looked like it maybe went in. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the commentator would literally react to something and be like, "How the hell do you know?" Like 
<laughs> like, like I'm looking at this. I, yeah, if you if you have the ability, just just go to YouTube and and look up Sassuolo three three Torino. There's like actual official Syria uh, highlights available, and one you will see the funniest like setting for a game ever. But two, if you watch long enough, you will see Vlad Kirikesh's uh, second goal, like the second goal for Sassuolo, which is just an absolute peach. Yeah, yeah. He hits that so sweetly and it just starts, it just sails into that top corner, that far corner. Um, yeah, it's an amazing goal. So yeah, if anything, at least go watch it for that. It was it was truly a spectacular strike. Um, it's a hard earned point for Torino in the end. Sassuolo fighting back uh, and and equalizing in the 85th minute. Um, but Torino, for all their obviously, you know, kind of the second the second club around Turin, obviously to to Juve, but. Um, they've had, you know, very strong players. Andrea Bellotti was, you know, linked with moves to, you know, Chelsea and, and elsewhere, uh, throughout recent years, never really materialized. Um, but they've, they've gone through these kind of waves Torino. And now this season, that was their first point of the season. Um, and obviously a little bit disappointing for Sassuolo who are up in the upper reaches of the table, but Torino, I mean, to, to go four games and just now pick up their, their first draw, it's not looking great for, for Turin's uh, second team. Yeah. The, the defense is, I think what the issue is here with Torino. I mean, uh, Andre Bellotti is serviceable enough. Um, they have Simone Verde too, who's decent. Um, but the farther you go back in that lineup, it just gets a little bit, a uh, little dicey for them. So I think they're going to be battling relegation again. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Sasuolo, uh, remarkably, uh, have 73% of the ball, complete 701 passes, and have a passing accuracy of 90%, despite the fact that they can't see. <laughs> like what's happening? Sassuolo are like low key, like Atalanta in green. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they they scored shit ton of goals, and uh, they are yeah. They just they have a very small budget as well, so it's pretty interesting to see what they've been doing so far. And I think they're third right in the table right now. So yeah, yeah, Crazy. and level with Napoli actually, who will will get to in a second, um, but. First, we'll talk about Atalanta, another the the other um, austere <laughs> austere attackers. Um, <laughs> I guess Atalanta, uh, though, following up a huge Champions League win um, with a v- over Michelin, uh very disappointing. Actually, lost to Sampdoria at home in Bergamo, um, and Fabio Quagliarella. <laughs> another aging striker starts a scoring <laughs> off for Sampdoria. The dude, the dude is just uh, ageless, like in front of goal. He just keeps doing it. Yeah. And I said in the beginning of the season, the Sampdoria team is not particularly good and you know, they're really not, but I guess when you have Qualiarella, you've got a chance. Um, he did win the golden boot, like the Capo <laughs> Canyoneri, like not that long ago. So yeah, um, yeah, he's still doing it in his late thirties, and he he makes sure that they see Atalanta off at this one. And 
Atalanta having a little bit of a wobble in Serie A. They've only ha- they only have two goals, but they've conceded seven in their last two. So unable to replicate what what they did to Michelin in midweek. And um, yeah, they're gonna have to turn that around a little bit because yeah, you don't want to get on you don't want to get on a slide like that so soon. <laughs> Yeah, they they obviously I and I think it was to be expected Atalanta, you know, they still com- they create plenty throughout the game. They end end up with 20 shots, but um they just were wasteful uh throughout and only five on target. Um yeah. the the interesting thing about this Atalanta team is that I think they're going to be subject to this. Um now that they're in this second cycle of playing in the champions league and playing in Syria and in a condensed calendar and all this stuff. I think the lack of resources is going to become more and more apparent in terms of having to compete for the champions league. Just like, obviously, especially with a, a rejuvenated Milan, Napoli is playing much better than they were last season. Now Sassuolo is, yo, Sassuolo is not in Europe. Um, which I think is an important, as I said, you know, as we were talking about earlier, I think that will make a difference for them. Inter, Juve, like you're already, that's a top five right there. And now you've got Atalanta sitting right outside with Sampdoria just behind, but, but Atalanta are going to face a steep, steep hill to get back into the Champions League um, this season, despite the fact that I think they'll be one of the best sides in the Champions League to watch um, they are going to struggle to stay in the competition, I think, with with what's going on in Syria. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, yeah, the de- the defense just not um, not showing up for this one. Um, but we mentioned the imp- the new and improved Napoli, um, or at least improved, I guess. Um, and really interesting context to this game. And you actually you actually pointed this out um, while it was going on. But we have we had Napoli versus Benevento, which is a southern Italian derby already. Um, but this one was made particularly interesting because of the Insigne brothers. Indeed, yes, Roberto Insigne is a forward for for Benevento, and of course, Napoli captain Lorenzo Insigne is on the other side, and. Um, both of them got on the score sheet in this, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, Fratelli Derby. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, Lorenzo is actually on, I think he was on Benevento's books or at least went through the academy or something like that. I don't know. He's obviously a Napoli legend though. And um, um, Roberto, the younger brother, is um, the less talented one, I guess you could say. He's, he, he was on Napoli's books for a little bit, but spent a lot of time out on loan at different clubs kind of in the second division and and then now in, in Benevento who've kind of yo-yoed up and down Serie A and Serie B. So mm-hmm. um, it was cool to see the both brothers score. And uh, Lorenzo said after the game that he was very happy for his brother, but also happy to get the win, of course. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. I, I wonder how frequent that is uh, that brothers have scored for both like opposing teams in the same game. I'm sure that is extremely rare like it seems almost like i don't know like near maybe it's never happened before i don't know uh yeah the last time i can remember brothers playing against each other was uh granite shaka and talon shaka in euros yeah 
for Switzerland, and which is even funnier when you see brothers representing different nations. Yeah, like the um, I don't think you, like Jerome yeah, the Boateng. and Kevin yeah. Prince Boateng. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I always think it's really interesting, and it must be like just you must feel sick as a parent to watch those kind of <laughs> games. But uh, at least with this one, both the Insignia's parents were able to at least celebrate goals for each. So <laughs> yeah, the, the first, so I think the context behind it was Roberto actually came up through Napoli's uh, Academy with Lorenzo and was, that's it. and I was cut right. like, his brother made it and he did not. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he finds a home at Benevento. And when he scores this goal, I I would, uh, I know we're recommending a lot of goals to watch, but if you watch Roberto Insigne's goal, I don't know that I've ever seen a more emotional reaction to a goal. Like I've certainly seen more excitement. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I've ever seen someone react with such intense emotion. The dude was, he literally like is in tears as he's like, like he's very excited, but he's also just like overwhelmed by the fact that he scored, you know, against the team that kind of showed, you know, a lack of faith in him or whatever. And obviously his brother is a legend for them. His brother also scores the better of the two goals with his weaker <laughs> foot. Just an absolute banger from Insigne at, that we've come to expect. I mean, he is a oh, scorer yeah. of, of beautiful goals, but uh, Napoli kind of crushed the dream of uh, of their their lower or lo- more lowly neighbors. Um, and, and in doing so, Lorenzo asserts his authority over Roberto once again. But the moment where Roberto opens the scoring is, is a really, really cool uh, just reaction to a goal. I don't know I've ever seen something like that intense. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch that back. I guess I didn't notice when I saw it the first time around. But yeah, I mean, when you get loaned out like 5,000 times, I'm sure to score against a club that that did that to you <laughs> and also that your brother plays for can be emotional. And yeah, maybe, I hope people in Zaghi can keep, can keep Benevento up. Um, also, they have one of the best just a side note, one of the best crests in football with the witch yeah. on the badge. <laughs> and <laughs> it is awesome. spooky Halloween season. Vibes. Yeah. <laughs> it is spooky season. The Benevento. Oh man, that's amazing. <laughs> um the uh, we we spoke about Torino already, but obviously Juve, the main club in Turin, uh they're they were at home against Hell's Hell's Verona and held one one and I needed a late goal from Kulisevsky to to salvage this one but Juve domestically struggling at the moment like it it has to be said yeah yeah they're having a you know like I said at the beginning of the season and it's so far it looks like I'm at least somewhat not talking nonsense but I think if there's any major title serial title winner that's going to maybe get knocked off it's Juventus because they have taken a big big gamble on uh Andrea Pirlo and uh, I think he's still very much trying to figure out what his best 11 is because Paolo Dybala starts this one um and obviously I'd complained last time out about him kind of seeming like he's been frozen out I think Cristiano Ronaldo not being available obviously informs a lot of the decision making 
at uh, at the Allianz Stadium. But yeah, Andrea Favilli, he opens the, the scoring for, for Elas Verona and he was on Juventus's books three separate times. So it's kind of <laughs> funny how that works, um, both as a, as a youth player and then uh, when he went professional. Uh, I think he only ever made like one appearance for, for Juventus's first team. But um, he scores and then... You know, Juventus weren't really offering too, too much. And then, of course, Kulishevsky comes on and scores almost immediately. So right. <laughs> he's, he's you know, if there's one, like, consistent bright spot in this Juve side, it's him for sure. Um, you know, doing doing the goal scoring for, for Juventus, especially as, as Ronaldo's still out. But, yeah, you know, to not win against Elas Verona at home, that's pretty bad. I think they should be winning this one, to be fair. It's interesting to how much things change. Obviously, the the availability of Ronaldo kind of informing the selection of Dybala. But it's also interesting in midfield, the unavailability of Weston McKinney mm. led to the selection of Archer in, <laughs> in central midfield, which is a very different type of player than Weston McKinney. <laughs> extremely different i mean weston weston is a grafter you know he's an all-around central midfielder all action and um i'm happy for him that he is obviously he's gotten over COVID 19 um but arthur is not like he he just looks forward he's just about passing passing move and and keeping the side ticking he's not really interested in putting in a tackle so yeah it's uh very very different players for sure and um Again, I, I don't really know what to make of this Juve side. And no, you know, we can read all the dissertations we want about Pirlo and by Pirlo, but that really doesn't tell us too much when we watch his side, you know, and I, I think he's still trying to figure that out. So he better figure it out quick because I think <laughs> Juventus want, want number 10. They, yeah, they certainly do. And, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a battle for the, you know, like we spoke about this league is, is a lot more competitive than it has been, uh, in recent seasons and Juve aren't going to be able to, to walk it as we have, as we're now seeing. And they're, uh, they're getting, you know, the, in consecutive games, they've been held by Crotone and now Hellas Verona in, in back-to-back matches. And that's, I don't know. Yeah. That's not something that we're used to seeing from from Juve uh, recently. Well, really, you know, over the last decade. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. I hope. I hope that there can be a new title winner. I would love. I would just love Italian football to to come back to to prominence. You know, and it was the league. You know, back in the nineties and 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 early two thousand. So yeah, that would be great. Well, uh, I think we maybe just take one more break and then head into the uh, home stretch here. Let's do it. Welcome back to hardcore football. Uh, Mika, so the last couple of weeks, we haven't had a whole ton of opportunity to talk Bundesliga because these teams are, they're not following the, the theme of this year, which is just absolute madness. 
Yeah, the Bundesliga is is. I mean, there's definitely still interesting results, and in the match the matches are still entertaining, but uh, not nearly as shocking as 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 what's going on in Italy, in Spain, and in, in England. Um, maybe that you know now that I think about it, maybe it's because they're the ones that got back to play first. <laughs> like they're the ones that kind of set the new normal almost could be um and they're just being like hella german and just going on getting on with it <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think the most notable thing this weekend was dortmund smashing schalke as we thought they would in the river derby so um it's the first time that in a while that i have chosen to watch other matches over the river derby usually i love this derby but mm-hmm. uh yeah no contest really i mean schalke i think they were ecstatic to make it to halftime not having conceded but then it all just kind of fell apart after about 50 minutes so yeah yikes yeah it's <laughs> a it, it's an absolutely brutal game um in terms of i mean Dortmund just absolutely suffocate Schalke in the second half and yeah yeah it i mean no shots on target for Schalke they barely had the ball uh, it, it's it's just I don't know. It, it's just de- it's it's demoralizing. Like I don't I don't even like Schalke. It, you know mm. I'm not, I don't have any affiliation with them. Um, but to see a, a club like this just become a shadow of their former selves, there's just there's just something downright depressing about it. Um, but Dortmund, I mean, they were they were they were bright. They were, um, you know, they kind of play with this energy of the players that they have where they have all these young talents and I think sometimes throughout the season that'll lead to some frustration and maybe not the the biggest consistency but Holland scores again um and Akanji you know grab the grab the opener and Matt's Hummels <laughs> so a couple defenders grabbing goals um but it's you know I just think they play with this kind of brightness and and this you know, whatever pep in their step, I guess, uh, yeah. because that they have from this, this young kind of attacking trident that they have now with Sancho, Gio Reyna and, and Holland. Yeah. Holland is ridiculous. I mean, five goals, two assists in five matches. Like the kid is a cyborg. Like I, I <laughs> like I'm, I fully expect him to be a NPC in like cyberpunk 2077, yeah. like <laughs> night F like leading the line for night city FC. Like <laughs> he's not human. Like he's crazy. He's insane. And speaking of non-humans, Robert Lewandowski, another hat trick as Byron just absolutely smashed on Tracht five nil Sane and Jamal Musiala at goals. So, I mean, what else is new? <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I mean, the one thing about Bayern, though, they did lose Alfonso Davies, if I'm not mistaken, to yes. injury. So, um, I, I mean, no disrespect to Alfonso, but I think they'll be okay. But I mean, it is still a big loss, and uh, right. yeah, he he goes off at like the th- in the third minute or something crazy. Like he just yeah yeah that sucks. Yeah. Uh- and I think what they ended up doing is Javi Martinez actually comes in and I think they push Alaba back out to left back, which is where he, you know, started his, his career. Right. Um, and uh, so he'll likely deputize out there um, and they'll, they'll find those center back partners for, for Boateng. Um, and then your club Gladbach 
see out a win over Mainz. Mainz in a little bit of trouble, but uh, they they put up a fight in this one. Yeah, Mainz are you know going to be battling relegation. They are the worst team in the league as it currently stands. Yes, somebody is worse than Schalke right now. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they. They did put up a fight. I mean, Jean-Philippe Mateta, he's been the bright spot for them, uh, for Mainz. Um, but uh, luckily, Gladbach were able to capitalize on all the chances and all the shots they were taking and, and the majority of the possession that they did have. feels like Gladbach are really making things hard for themselves at the moment. But, um, you know, coming off a draw for, against Inter in the Champions League at San Siro and then getting this win at Mainz, I think I'll, I'll take it for this week. Fair enough. Uh, Germany looking a little more a little more normal um, as far as the teams up towards the top of the table uh, and things, uh, but still plenty of excitement in the Bundesliga. And I'm sure they will give us more of a reason to talk uh, to talk Germany uh, in the in the coming days. But we've got Champions League again this week. Um, normally it wouldn't be happening this quick. I don't think, um, <laughs> after another match day, but tons of matches again, uh, in this coming round. And are, what are the big ones to, uh, to look out for? Yeah. I mean, I think the obvious, the obvious one that stands out is, is Wednesday's matchup between Juventus and, and Barcelona, two teams that I think are very much in transition to, to, put it lightly um two teams that did business with one another this season and uh or over the summer and swapping Marilyn Pjanic and, and Artur to to make the books look nice um <laughs> you know Barcelona coming off that loss to to Real Madrid and El Clasico and Juve obviously dropping points against Elas Verona both of these teams are going to be itching to to get get the result um so yeah it'll be an interesting one and in a matchup of of the what was it? 2014, 15 champions league final. One of those, one of the recent ones. Yeah. Um, the last one that Barcelona won, <laughs> whatever that was. Right. Um, so, so yeah, it'll be interesting, but, um, for more of a hipster shout, I think Atalanta Ajax <laughs> will be tasty for the, for the, for those of us that like goals. So, um, yeah. That'll that'll be a cool one. Atletico and RB Salzburg too. Two mm-hmm. very very different teams, very different approaches to the game. That could be very interesting. Um, and, and yeah, those are the ones that I am kind of calling out. Of course, I'll have my eye on on, on Mucci Gladbach and who who host Real Madrid to close doors, unfortunately. But um, don't I don't expect Gladbach to get anything out of that. But who knows? We'll see. I. Uh... Yeah, I I think I think all those are are good shouts. Atalanta Ajax is obviously particularly interesting to me as a Liverpool fan with that being the other the other game in our group. Mm-hmm. Um but it is it you know from a neutral perspective, it's two of the best attacking sides and they play really good football. They they get the ball down and play it and they will play end to end like they don't care. Um, so yeah, I, I think that'll be a ton of fun. Um, and I'm interested. So United, obviously man United get that win over PSG in the last match day. They host RB Leipzig. And mm-hmm. I think Leipzig are a terrible matchup for United, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, you know, how it will actually shake out. Leipzig have been in good form. They are top of the Bundesliga at the moment. 
And to me, it's not dissimilar from when Spurs drew Leipzig in the Champions League because everyone was like, oh, what a good draw for Spurs. And they got their ass beat. (laughs) So, like, yeah, I just think uh, I think this is a very poor like of the teams in the Champions League. I think this is one that United would not have wanted to draw um, with the way that they play. So. Obviously, things could go, you know, United's way. Uh, it's a it's a one off game. Anything can happen. Um, but I do think that has the potential to be a, uh, a a a big result for for RB Leipzig in in terms of trying to establish themselves as kind of that you know a a consistent continental power. Um, but United are you know they have the feel good factor off of the uh, off of the win from PSG so maybe they'll maybe they'll carry that that momentum through who knows um, but yeah a lot of lot of interesting matchups um, in this in this group uh, of matches and I just yeah I I know that for the players it's going to be very difficult to see through this crazy kind of congested fixture list but as a fan it's amazing because we're talking on a monday we had games today there were games all weekend and there are games tomorrow so like as you're listening to this there's probably a champions league game about to start so (laughs) (laughs) for sure one thing too i want to just real quick point out marseille versus manchester city too Mm -hmm. i love that marseille are back in the biggest competition on earth um obviously the only french team to ever win the champions league so yeah um yeah that'll be really interesting to see what andre Villas-Bosch can can cook up against uh pep guardiola's man so yeah the champions league offering quite a bit um should we take a gander over at the europa league and yeah what the hell is going on other than arsenal dundalk <laughs> what a what a fixture um the and yet i'm like are we gonna win question mark <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh well i guess at a glance leal celtic is interesting i think that's a little and, yeah. and real sociedad napoli that's a that's a champions league match that's a really you, good like yeah you'd argue both those teams and the form that they're in that that's probably the big one. I, I would, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I think by a distance that that is one of the, uh, one of the better matchups. And I actually really like, um, I like Benfica standard Liege as well, because mm. it's too like, it's two kind of powerhouse clubs from those lower tier leagues so you know like portugal and and belgium don't always get kind of the attention um that others do but a lot of academy products a lot of you know not a lot of outside investment that sort of thing and and so um yeah i'm that's maybe the that's maybe the hipster shout but sociedad napoli is it should be a just a cracking game and it's two teams who are both feeling themselves right now so um yeah really coming in in form so that that is that should be a hell of a watch um on thursday um if you have the chance to catch it but um i think that brings us just to the end and we've got the small matter Mika of our sounds of the season Spotify playlist. Um, so for those of you listening for the first time, we do have a Spotify playlist 
that you can find uh, if you search uh, for hardcore football on uh, Spotify. You can find our podcast episodes and you can also find this uh, this sounds of the season playlist. We add two. So we each add two songs each week, and it's just a growing, living playlist. And you can follow it. Follow it on Spotify, and each time uh, that we add a song, it'll automatically update in your playlists, and so you don't have to go in and update anything or anything like that. Um, it'll just be available. So, Mika, what are your two selections for this week? Yeah, I mean, another week, another like string of VAR controversies. So my first one is uh, Betrayed by the Game by Dance Gavin Dance. It just, <laughs> it's, uh, it's on the nose, uh, obviously, but uh, it's also just a, a, an awesome song. One of my favorite Dance Gavin Dance songs. So, um, yeah, I've added that one. Just kind of my thoughts on how I don't know the rules of soccer anymore uh, <laughs> that, that song is such a banger too i it, absolutely it totally love that is. song absolutely and then i've also gone I've, I've switched genres to kind of like the uh melodic hardcore and i've gone with cut the tension by lifetime i just it's nothing really to do with anything we've talked about necessarily just a really good song and something that i just to brighten it up a little bit in the playlist so <laughs> yeah those are my my two my two picks for the week what about you phil I I went um, with one band a little bit lesser known, I guess, even for this genre. But I went with a band called Inner Signals uh, and their song Defeated um, because obviously lots of lots of weird defeats this week. A lot of people feeling <laughs> defeated. Um, but uh, the. It, you know, it's kind of a kind of a. I don't want to say typical metalcore or whatever, but it's kind of metalcore vibes. And, uh, the ending breakdown of the song is just like probably one of the best things ever. I just really love a good, nice, heavy breakdown, uh, with a nice, uh, kind of call out over it and everything. So there's that. And then another one, uh, of mice and men, one of the old, one of the old of mice and men songs, uh, they don't call it the South for nothing, which is my tribute to Benevento Napoli. Um, (laughs) (laughs) the, uh, yeah, they don't call it the South for nothing. And in that, uh, the, the, the shout at the end is, uh, the lead singer says, I, I said, I'd fight back. I didn't say that I'd fight fair. And that's, <laughs> that's Lorenzo Insigne hitting a banger in against his brother. Um, and yeah, so anyways, uh, those are my, those are my thoughts for, uh, for the sounds of the season playlist, which, um, yeah, you guys can check out on Spotify. And it's getting, it's getting to be a nice little playlist. We've got 26 songs, an hour and 30 minutes of just the whole spectrum of, of, rock so check it out and let us know if you like it or if it sucks or if you would like to add some things to it or whatever you yeah whatever just if you don't want to listen to us listen to the music at least (laughs) (laughs) i personally love it i i play it in like when i'm in the shower and stuff i just hit shuffle and it's it's fun yeah it's a fun playlist so 
yeah, it's just, it's full of surprises uh, and nice little, you know, because when it's one that I've added, I'm like, oh yeah, like I picked this song. And then yeah. when it's one you added, I'm like, oh damn, yeah, she picked this. <laughs> you know, it's a nice little <laughs> And nice I think little about trip. like why we picked them and I just remember moments from the season. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed uh, the episode up till now. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, wherever podcasts uh, are found. And a nice thing about Spotify now, uh, for those of you who had been reluctant to use it, they are now doing new episode notifications on Spotify. Um, so Finally. it's ma- making it a much more user-friendly experience. Um, I can't believe it took this. It's 2020 <laughs> and they didn't have notifications until just now because I love listening to Stadio, obviously, and, and they're they're a Spotify exclusive. And I tweeted Ryan like they're finally there's finally notifications. I can't wait to listen. And yeah. Liked it, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you can you can now set notifications for us if you'd like to hear our our, our takes on here. So, <laughs> yeah. Um and uh yeah you can follow follow us on there and you can also follow us uh on twitter at hxc football i gotta give a shout out um i think i meant to do this at the top of the episode it's far too late uh but we had kind of a kind of a banger of a of a meme um on the uh at hxc football twitter courtesy of one Austin Young, who you may know from the Seriously Loco podcast, um, but clowning uh, the Roberto Soldado incident uh, in in La Liga this weekend. Uh, and it gave, hopefully it, it gave a lot of you enjoyment, um, but uh, have to shout out Austin at Little Badger uh, on, on Twitter. Um, definitely uh definitely set my week off on a good on a good note with uh with that meme so check out our check out our twitter (laughs) to see to see what we're referring to if you haven't seen it already um but that uh i think that's about it for us Mika. what do you think yeah i think that's it all right well until next time guys uh i don't know enjoy and enjoy the champions league and we'll talk to you next weekend peace